Welcome back to the Just for Kicks podcast. I'm here on a special holiday edition. It's going to be our last one for a second. We got a lot to preview. Steve, what's your favorite holiday tradition? Uh, for Christmas? I mean, for just, yeah. Okay, I'll do Christmas. Christmas isn't my favorite holiday, but we'll, I'll say for Christmas, my favorite thing is after the presents are open. I like that, like, nothing's happening. Do a nice long cook and like watch a couple movies, a little bit of sports, slowly drink throughout the afternoon, and then eat like a nice roast. Like it, it, it's like the perfect day for a long cook. The the kids that are in class right now that are studying this podcast and like you know they're going to be writing about the history of it at all. The answer to the question on the test that's going to be presented in ten years about Stephen Pearson's holidays um, is going to be quote unquote nice roast. What is what is Steve like the absolute most about Christmas? Kids, it is be nice roast. Um, speaking of nice roasts, before we get to the holidays, what is the best thing you saw on another um, mind-bending, twist-turning weekend of uh, Premier League action and some pretty wild stuff elsewhere, including the Champions League draw, which we're going to get to uh, shortly. Best thing I saw was elsewhere. It was in Germany. Emil Forsberg had his Leipzig farewell. Um, I think it was 1-1 when he came on late, got a huge reception, and then suddenly he was like the Energizer bunny, turning back the clock, got an assist, and had a couple of great moves, um, pushing the ball forward and helping Leipzig get that victory. And it was a nice send-off for him, so that was exciting to watch. He'll be coming to a MLS near you. He's going to the New York Red Bulls. And he did he did the whole thing. You know, he was at Malmo. He went to Leipzig. Um, great career. Um, he had a lot of international caps, didn't he? Yeah, he got uh, 86, 21 goals. Not shabby for a side that, um, you know, was consistently, well, I mean, <laughs> most importantly, if you were playing for Sweden since 2014, you're competing with Ibra for getting balls in the back of the net. So he was able to um, dump 21 in in roughly a quarter of his appearances when he was playing off uh, Zlatan Ibrahimovic. So um, not not bad, right? I didn't realize he was that prominent of a figure in terms of uh, how many goals he got in the back of the net for Sweden. I mean, Sweden um, was you know, kind of pesky for a minute there on both the world stage and the Euro stage. Yeah, he's very much a part of those teams in the pesky sense like i feel like he's always willing to put in a shift on defense and he's got just enough technique to kind of carry the team going forward um been doing the same thing at leipzig and got a very well-deserved send-off from them uh it'll be fun to watch him in the mls yeah and this is further confirmation that the mls is becoming a place where you know you don't come when you're literally on your last leg you just kind of you still have some gas in the tank but maybe you're not you know, able to compete. I'm not saying he doesn't have another year, two years left at the highest level in Germany, but you know, we're seeing, we're seeing it not being kind of Stevie G's like retirement home or Frank Lampard's like, you know, um, last paycheck, like dudes are coming to the MLS that still can still can play. And this is going to have a tangible impact on the New York Red Bulls next year. This, this might change the Eastern Conference in its entirety. I mean, what are the odds that we see uh, a New York Red Bulls with Forsberg facing up against uh, Messi, Busquets, Alba, and whoever else they add? I mean, 
they finished eighth, and then you add Forsberg. Um, that's gonna be that's gonna be a team to reckon with. Um, that's gonna be a team that's gonna be in the playoffs uh, unless there's a lot of movement elsewhere, right? Yeah, I don't know how well he'll do with 34 games in the USA summer, but for the 30 minutes I watched him, he still has got enough in the tank to really influence matches. Um, so whenever he's playing, I'm sure he'll be quite the engine for them and be able to hopefully pull them up the table a little bit. I mean, he's never going to be considered one of the best of his generation, maybe Will in Sweden for the, those teams, but um, he's an incredibly talented player, and I think we're fortunate to have him. We are. We are, as was the world, as was Europe, as is the entire Cosmos um, class act, and he'll be doing uh, great things stateside, I'm sure. So let's jump right into the EPL action. Um, After that, we're going to talk Champions League, then we're going to tell you what you really should be watching over the Christmas break, uh, the Boxing Day stretch towards New Year's. Uh, it's really just a great time. Um, all the other leagues tend to kind of chill out, and the Premier League is just like, nope, we got you. We got you. Um, and before we get there, two massive, massive moments. One we were not expecting, but has totally shifted the entire Premier League on its axis in terms of what we're expecting to happen and in terms of who's going to win this whole damn thing. Um, Crystal Palace drawing City at the fortress formerly known as the Etihad. Um, it's still still named the Etihad. It's just not so much a fortress lately. And again, this wasn't Aston Villa coming in and shutting him down. You know the just you know City had like seventy five percent possession. Um, I think they had like twenty shots, probably like nine or ten on target. Um. Palace had like two shots on target and one of them went in, but this is still like a jarring result, but right. Like, yeah. Especially considering that man city was up two Oh yeah. I mean, that's the thing is, you know, things happen, but this, the serpent that is Manchester city, the citizens, you know, once, once they are up two Oh at home, the odds of clawing back, even if it is, you know, with, you know, a, you know, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say lucky. I would never say these things are lucky. They put themselves in a position with numbers to create a chance that ended, um, you know, with them being able to get one past Ederson and then in the 95th minute having a penalty. But being up 2-0, you know, on the road, no matter who you are, I don't care if it's, you know, I don't care if it's Liverpool, I don't care if it's Arsenal, um, they'll strangle you to death, right? Like 2-0 at the Etihad, like, GG, right? Should be. And these are the kind of things that when it happens to Arsenal or Liverpool, it's the kind of evidence we use to say that they can't keep up with City because they have too many slip-ups. And I think that this is just another tick in the box of being able to say that this Man City team is very well removed from last season's juggernaut. Um, We noted that this is the first time this season that they're no longer considered a 50 plus percent favorite by the bookmakers and i think that's perfectly fair they just they're not favored against the field for the first time in what four years yeah and this game and a couple other matches they've just been like uncharacteristically nonchalant late in the game trying to close the door behind them um i think there was a narrative that kovacic would just slide in for gundawan and the machine would tick over um that has not happened no 
There have been several unexpected alignments or adjustments needed. Rodri's suspension, Stones' injury, KDB is back in training, but he's been out. Now Holland's hurt, and all of that's combined to just really upset the apple cart for them. Like it's, they're not, they and the Eddie Hod in particular are not the fortress they were last season. And like they're starting to show a lot of vulnerabilities. We're not halfway home yet. They have a chance to get healthy and go on a kick run in the second half. But at the moment, they look extremely vulnerable, not just for the title, but like top two. But it's so funny that people have kind of just assumed the Kovacic for Gunduan like for like was like the sort of fait uh, fait accompli. Or like in some circles, people were like, you know, Gunduan's getting old. This is going to rejuvenate them in a new way. I've just always, I always have to go back to how tough it is to play in the Manchester City system. Like, it's hard. Like, there is a learning curve. There's a reason that the first year Pep was in the Premier League, they finished fourth, and it came down to the last day. It takes a second to figure it out. But once you figure it out, it's humming. And a guy like Gunduan, who at times could play holding midfield extraordinarily well, but also would go on like 10, 12 match stretches, probably in every campaign that he was in where he was the leading goal scorer. Um, understanding how to play those different positions in the same way that Bernardo Silva can play wing, has played false nine at times, and has played very, very deep. Like that allows you to understand how to play the system. Kovacic, this is his first year in there, and there's one thing he's elite at. He hasn't been in the system very long, much less hasn't been forced or, you know, been deployed in other roles. So you have that holistic understanding of what Pep and the players around you expect of you to do, right? Like, I think people don't think about this enough. The system is, especially last year when it was the Death Star, is specifically tailored to accentuate the best attributes of some world-class players. Like, Kevin De Bruyne is completely irreplaceable. Mm -hmm. Gundogan is close. Rodri is close. Stones and Rodri in that midfield pairing is close. Holland is. And then you sprinkle around that Nathan Ake, Kyle Walker, Bernardo Silva, etc. I mean, I think and I think you could find somebody to replace Stones, but that's not a knock on Stones. Like Stones has that skill set and he's perfectly equipped to do that and he gets the training opportunities to do that. I don't know that he's entirely irreplaceable, but he is perfectly equipped to do that. Yeah, and so you know, all of these individual parts have kind of been a letdown at some point this season, either in injury or suspension. And it's kind of like, you know, take your car into the, for an oil change, but then suddenly there's five things wrong and it's going to take you a few more days to get your car back. But Pep Guardiola is the best mechanic in the business. Um, I still think they're favorites, but yeah, I, I tend to agree with you until proven otherwise. Um, they've got time to get it right. Their Champions League draw they're playing Copenhagen in the round of 16. Um, so they have three months to get right there. They don't play Arsenal and Liverpool again until March. And I'm not going to call them dead until those two teams knock them out. But I do think they've taken a step back. And I think Liverpool and Arsenal have taken a step forward. So it's it's going to be close and it's going to be a race to the wire. Yeah. Um, so let's immediately go to the match that we thought was going to be a marquee um, match. Maybe not in terms of how close it actually was, which I, I still shocked and somewhat flummoxed by um but you know we thought there's gonna be fireworks and they're just straight up weren't um you know liverpool manchester united liverpool you know a a golden opportunity to do one over on their 
very, very vulnerable rivals. And also um, make up two points on City and really just from a practical mathematical standpoint, like check some boxes. Um, I hate to say it because it, it's kind of anti-sporting. I don't think that they're necessarily worse because of what happened um, in that match, but it was the first time they dropped points at Anfield and it was against a Manchester United team that, you know, really played not to lose. And again, that limits their opportunities, but Liverpool's strength has been to just break anybody down by any means necessary and light people up. And like, they just couldn't do it. And I don't know if it was laziness. I don't know if they just assumed a goal was going to come in, but like Trent Alexander-Arnold pissed the ball away like four times in the last like four possessions. Like Cody Gakpo missed. Yeah, they uh, almost got caught out by uh, Hoyland. They could have lost that game late. They did. They almost got caught out by Hoyland. They almost got caught out by Anthony right before that. Um, Cody Gakpo missed a header that no one playing in that position for a top four top six whatever the hell we're calling it these days it's going to be top seven after Aston Villa wins the title this year um, yeah like you should never miss that header like that was awful um and they kind of wasted a vintage performance from Van Dyke they they wasted I think a coming of age performance from Kanade um it was disappointing yeah I think Liverpool is extremely disappointed with that result they and well, I don't know what they expected, but most of us expected them to open up a can, so to speak, on United, and that definitely didn't happen. And you know, credit to United, they're the first team to take points off of Liverpool at Anfield this season. And Andre Onana is at the top of the leaderboard with Jordan Pickford for clean sheets. So, even like this is another thing, like he looked uneasy at times. Like, there were two different times during that game when uh, commentators said Andre Onana still trying to find his footing or something to that effect during the match. But look at the stats, just like look at the form table, like they're still right there, man. Nothing that my eyes watch with Man United makes what the stats uh suggest seem real but like it doesn't credit do the results matter and they're hanging in there even during a really really bad stretch run of injuries and performances and i don't know i guess for liverpool it's a disappointing result but the performance was solid if unspectacular i mean they won this match on xg about same as they did when they beat them 7-0 last season um from a neutral perspective i guess it was i was rooting for a draw because i wanted Liverpool to be in second place whenever Arsenal visits this weekend. Like I feel like that sets up a better balance for neutrals, the home team being the chaser. But um, yeah, I I I, I was plainly shocked by this result. Oh yeah, um, I mean I still think Liverpool might be the class of the non cities, but you know you look around and you know I'm not you know I'm not putting Tottenham on a pedestal, but you look at the other sides and Tottenham, even with the red card took care of business against forest on the road. Um, you know, Chelsea at home took care of the blades, Newcastle beat, uh, you know, an inferior Fulham team. Um, you know, everything else kind of played against form. Most importantly, Aston Villa in a, in a feist, feisty affair with Brentford, um, kept pace getting three points and Arsenal, did away with Brighton winning 2-0. Um, so 
these were the anomalies. Everything else really stayed true to form. And it, it, it re, the Premier League table, shockingly to some, some not to others, after 17 matches, I'm going to read the top. Number one, Arsenal is at 39 points. Number two, Liverpool is at 38 points. But Aston Villa is in third, and they have four points on City. We're two weeks away from being halfway through the season. What universe did you think this was going to happen? Uh, Aston Villa is obviously surprising. <clears throat> uh, Man City in fourth is surprising. But Arsenal and Liverpool, I think we expected to be challenging. And I expect it to get a little bit tighter. Um, the Based on performances, Manchester United is still the most surprising thing on the table, I would say. Well, they finally slipped down to seventh because Newcastle decided to actually like you know take care of business in a way that they should be. Uh, expect to take care of business, but we got top. I mean, a- after Tottenham's implosion, they're back in fifth, and they're they're a point off City, man. Like wowzers, you know. Uh, Pep said last year the goals to survive until you know the the World Cup. Um, maybe that's his goal without De Bruyne. Maybe that's become you know even more of his goal. You know, now that Holland's gone down, so he's just trying to piece it together and hope that they can make a run in the springs. But, dude, it's, it's you know, in some ways it seems like it's more mentality than actual, like, people on the field. And I know that that sounds like a really hot take without, you know, probably their two best players. I would still argue Rodri's the most influential, but, you know, I think... Holland and De Bruyne are the two best players, right? Yeah, I think there's some psychological concern there. Um, not only the motivation to go again after you've had three really successful seasons in a treble, but also now to have to go again and fight through the mud this time. It's like, oh man, now we have like, we find ourselves in a knife fight and I don't know if we signed up for this. Um, it, it does look like Bernardo Silva in particular, I'd noticed was kind of, being like everybody wake up on Sunday like this is happening and we can do something about it but yeah they just didn't seem to have that next gear that they had last year where they would just run through everybody um and I think you're right that and that's when you need a guy like that's when you need a guy like Gunduan you know if you're if you don't have De Bruyne that's when you need a guy like Gunduan with them to be like yo bro like are we just going to capitulate here yeah, he was always the guy in these moments who would score six goals in eight games out of nowhere and just like keep them steady Eddie ahead of everybody. Um, but that's not happening right now. And I think they'll be there at the end if they can get healthy, but it doesn't look like this giant Man City run's going to come soon. So at least from a neutral perspective, I'm hoping for a really tight run-in with three, if we're lucky, four teams. Yeah. I mean, Grealish has made the leap. I think Foden is inconsistent, but it certainly certainly shows flashes of brilliance. But again, these are guys who just kind of got used to playing on a regular basis last season. Um, they're not the titans of City that have you know been the pillars of their incredible run. So this really is going to be a moment where you know. There's a lot of learning on the fly. There's a lot of grit that needs to be developed on the fly. And we'll see what Pep does moving forward. But um, the new kids are going to have to start acting like vets because I don't think Bernardo Silva is going to be able to cheerlead them through the tough stretches that uh, they seem to be putting themselves in, right? 
Yeah, and one thing they do have going for them is that in the next seven weeks, Arsenal and Liverpool play each other twice. So if they can just hold serve, they'll find themselves back in the driver's seat. Um, and of course, they've got plenty of talent on that roster to do so. Um, yeah. Yeah. So um, we got to go straight to the Champions League. The draw just came out. And also want to look at the Champions League odds because there's one to me that just for the life of me, it doesn't make sense. And uh, again, it, it's not a not a sure thing that this happens, but I I I don't understand why this is the betting spread for this team. Um, first, we'll go to the fixtures, and then I'll and then we'll we'll talk odds, and uh, we'll go. These might be a little straightforward. Um, there's really only two or. three. Maybe three where I feel like, you know, there isn't a clear favorite. But, um, you know, heading into the round of 16, we got Porto taking on Arsenal. Um, I think everybody's pegged Arsenal to win that, right? I think it'll be a little bit more difficult than that, but uh, they're certainly favorites. But I think that Porto's primed to take advantage of them if they're not taking it seriously. Yeah. Um, And then we got Napoli-Barca. I know Barca's been struggling. Um, I know Napoli has, you know, shown their pedigree on the European stage last season, and certainly um, no match seems too big for them. But Barca's got to have the edge here, right? I don't know. This is a glamour tire of the round, I would say. Um, Italian champions, both homes of Maradona, Barcelona, obviously Spanish champions, and one of the biggest clubs in the world. But They've been struggling a lot lately. Two months is a long time to get right. Napoli's got some struggles of their own, too. Uh, I feel like both of these teams have a really high ceiling, but neither one of them's at that right now. So it'll be interesting to see who can kind of pull it together in the next couple months. Yeah. Then uh, speeding through the rest of these, and we'll wait at the end for the big ones. Um, Paris Saint-Germain, Real Sociedad. Um, I think the kids are all right. Sociedad, no disrespect, but... This should be PSG all day, right? I think PSG's got the better talent, obviously, with Mbappe, but I like Real Sociedad as a team. Well, yeah, I mean they're they're good. There's a reason they're here. But I just think I think if it's if they catch PSG on one of those weeks where they're showing like slight dysfunction, P- Real Sociedad will be really difficult for them. You think so? Yeah, yeah. Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. Well, um, moving on, we got Inter Milan taking on Atletico Madrid. Um, Again, this I can see this going the other way, but I gotta pick Inter Milan. Um, this is going to be another, like Steve said, glamour tie this round. But I think Inter Milan, even with all the turnover, has shown you know they're they're still at the top. And even though um, Atletico has done some done some good things this season, shown uh, some offensive prowess in a way that we don't typically see from Diego Mir, uh, Simeone sides. Um, I'm, uh, I'm expecting Inter to punch their ticket in the quarters. What's your take? Agreed. I just think they're a little bit more robust and a little bit more certain of their approach to the match. Um, I think Atleti's got <clears throat> a very, very good chance to take them down. They've got a lot of great players mm-hmm. and obviously a great manager in Simeone, but I think that Inzaghi and Inter Milan are be pretty prepared for this. Um, that's not a team I want to see in a cup competition. No, um, no matter who I am. Um, moving along, PSV 
Borussia Dortmund. Again, Dortmund um, have not been world beaters as of late. They almost snaked a title from Bayern Munich last year in the Bundesliga. But, you know, PSV, we love the uh, Eredivisie, but it just, it's it's a, it's a tier below, and in, in my very humble opinion. And I think Dortmund, um, Dortmund should be able to dispatch a PSV, even though they do have some starlets that will be making waves in Europe over the next, you know, 10 years. This is very much the hipster's paradise pick, a Dutch team against Dortmund. Um, Dortmund has got some problems right now. I think they're ripe for the picking. And PSV's got three Americans, so go PSV, go. Yeah, but will one of those Americans like have a have a freak out and like kick the ball in the stands and like ruin the entire tie? Fifty fifty. <laughs> <laughs> We're looking at you, Mister Dust. Don't blow it up uh, for PSV. We don't want to be known as those those types of uh, those types of petulant um, players, but we only want our own our own American. Uh, fans to be uh, slightly annoyed with you. Uh, you do that in the Champions League, like you, that's like can, he won't do that. He would never. I I thought he would never do it at all. Yeah, but I mean, he's not like in the Tyson zone. Like, come on. Even Dest knows you don't do that in the Champions League, right? No, the last Champions League match I watched with him, he was chatting up the referee the whole time. I was just like, dude, <laughs> just give it a rest. I don't know what his deal is sometimes. Dude, if if he ruins this for them, people are going to be like, I'm never signing another American ever again. Yeah, they're going to need most everything to go right to beat Dortmund, but I think they're fully capable. They're capable. Uh, They have a perfect record in the Eredivisie, so if Dortmund doesn't sort themselves out in the next couple months, then I I think PSV could surprise them for sure. Might be worth a sprinkle. Okay, and down the stretch, last one leading to my my biggest gripe slash opportunity with how the betting odds are for this this tournament. Um, Lazio's taken on Bayern Munich. No disrespect to Lazio. All the owners, um, please do not uh, have any ill will towards the Just for Kicks podcast, but uh, I think Bayern Munich's just got too much firepower and are finally humming along. This this should be easy, right? Yeah, next. <laughs> I, 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 just, I feel bad for Lazio. Like, that. it just, it's... Next. Yeah. Um, Manchester City, Copenhagen. Next. I mean, come on, Man City. It couldn't get easier, could it? Yeah, no. One of like the softest round of 16 qualifiers. And not to mention, the thing that drives me nuts about this is not only is it a pass-through, basically, for Man City, is that Copenhagen was one of the most exciting teams of the earlier rounds. Like You want to see them in a game. I'll be rooting for Copenhagen here. Let's just be blunt. But it's pretty damp on their story to see this be the outcome um also they don't play a match until i think maybe the champions league kicks off again because the danish league takes a break mm-hmm. so they could be rusty for the best team in the world tough times yeah like i would have loved to see like a copenhagen like Dortmund matchup like that would have been really fun yeah exactly but like city like come on man but i don't know teams shock the world all the time um in the same way that manchester united disappoint their fans all the time in the champions league <laughs> you think copenhagen can hang with city for 180 minutes this is this is my uh let's talk ourselves into this rb leipzig is playing real madrid and i just 
I, I I don't I don't think anybody stands a chance of taking down Real Madrid um, of of that caliber. Even though I am really proud of Leipzig and their feistiness in the Bundesliga this season, I think this is all Real Madrid all day, all Real Madrid all day, no matter who gets injured. Yeah, exactly. Alaba's now out with an ACL, so they're like, if Jude doesn't play, I'm going Real Madrid all day. If Jude doesn't, and then and Jude might be the best player on the planet right now. <laughs> yeah. If Jude doesn't play, I still probably go in Real Madrid, right? Yeah, <clears throat> Vinny should be healthy by then, and their back line is just an absolute mess with injuries. Um, they lost their starting goalkeeper as well. Mm-hmm. It's pretty brutal back there, but I think that they can score plenty of goals. Dude, Jude is like, it's so awesome. He's amazing. He's playing out, like, and I always bring this up, like, he's playing out of position. Yeah. like. That he's he he's not a player that has ever been relied upon to score goals on a consistent basis in order for your team to be successful. And now he's literally replacing Benzema and doing quite a damn good job, if you ask me. And they're they're just like yeah yeah they're just like yo dude, can you just like move up the pitch and like I guess be striker and we'll see how it works. And he's just like yeah, I'm going to try that. And then he scores every damn game. Oh wait, he he didn't score like one game like six weeks like six weeks ago, right? Yeah, I think it's like thirteen and fifteen, which is pretty sad, honestly. Yeah, like come on, man, come on. He's kind of appointment television at this point. Can you imagine if he, if in the alternate universe where he went to Liverpool, you you were dealing with a fantasy Premier League where you had to dedicate like thirty points to Jude and Erling Haaland just to be like responsible. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And everybody buys him as a midfielder, and then people are like, "Dude, that's not fair!" And like the EPL has like put out a statement and is like, "We're not going to change him in fantasy Premier League." And I, I, <laughs> I was intrigued by the idea of Jude going to Liverpool. It felt like they had a Jude size hole. Yeah, and I wanted to see Liverpool challenging again because they've been a perfect foil to Man City. But having watched him at Real Madrid, I am so glad he went there because he's too good. It, it's perfect. He is a he's a complete game winner in and of himself, and he just belongs at Real Madrid. He definitely needed to skip Liverpool and go straight to Real Madrid, and he is maybe the hottest player on the planet, genuinely. And despite having Jordan Pickford in goal, you you cannot speaking of roasts count Lu- you can you cannot count England out of any international tournament if Jude Bellingham's healthy. Period. Yeah, I, I'm sure we're gonna get to this the other draw to later episode, but the idea of a Trent Alexander, Arnold, Jude Bellingham, Declan Rice midfield with Harry Kane, uh, Bakayo Saka and Rashford being your sixth attacking option on the left wing or Grealish, whichever one you want or Sterling, like good God, like England has like five of the top 20 players on the planet right now. And I'm being pretty conservative. Euro might be ugly. Like France might be in for a wake up call. Germany might be like, even if we have our shit together, like, no, no way. Yeah. The English talent <clears throat> is finally just like spilling over and it's unbelievable. That midfield is unfair. It's unfair. And also enough prelude odds to win the 2023-2024 UEFA Champions League. Our favorites are Manchester City at plus 187. I said that was high all year last year and then Rodri snuck one past Andre Onana and made me look like a fool um, Bayern Munich's plus 400 uh, fair enough 
But even despite the injuries, even despite some of the sluggishness, how can you sleep at night if you are a bookie that currently has posted Real Madrid at plus 550, 11-2 to win the Champions League? I mean, that's just stupid high, man. Like, like there's a one in three chance they win the Champions League this year. I refuse to say it's any lower. Am I crazy? No, I think up until a few weeks ago, Man City was the clear-cut favorite, but now they're showing some vulnerabilities. Again, they have time to get right. By the time they run into a Real Madrid, this might have completely changed, but as currently constructed... Real Madrid has been really impressive, and they look like they're going to be able to attack anybody. But they do have that. That back line is going to start to wilt at some point. Like the depth is going to become a concern if the talent isn't, and maybe that's what's deflating this a little bit. But yeah, I mean, Real Madrid's got the most influential player on the planet right now, and got good players coming back. Um, I they'll be right. They'll be there. That's for sure. And the thing is, like, the kids are all right. The kids are running this thing. But when you have to make substitutions late in the Champions League, you know who they're going to be bringing on? The legends of legends. It's going to be like pulling – it's like pulling Michael Jordan off the bench. They're going to be able to be like, hey, Tony Cruz, can you just, like, show these kids what they need to do to, like, win this match? Like, Luka Modric, like, come in. Let's just, like – Let's just do what we need to do to like wrap this up. Like, this is a, a reality where I, I think Real Madrid wins this. I take them on a neutral field against City, and I know that sounds a, a bit o- over the top, but like, I, I like Real Madrid. I, I like Real Madrid over anyone, and on a neutral site, winner takes all. You got a month to prepare for the match. I'm going to be a little boring, and we have to remember that not only are the round of 16 two months away, the there's an entire transfer window and Africa Cup of Nations and Asian Cup in between now and then. So the football world is going to change drastically between now and then. Like if Bayern Munich can get in a solid six, that completely transform them into like really strong-willed Tuchel ball. Mm-hmm. Real Madrid probably needs to bring in a defender um, just to spare their players' legs getting for late in the season. Man City gets healthy or not, I don't know. Um, does Arsenal stay healthy? Paris Saint Germain, do they start to gel a little bit more? All of these are there are a lot of questions. Things there are that, a lot of questions. Yeah, it it I, I always get so excited during the draw, and then we have to wait, and they become completely different teams by the time we see them. But the thing, but Real Madrid has the Juju. They have Ancelotti. Like, I just maybe maybe saying that. I like them over anybody is, you know, a bit of hyperbole. But 550 at this point in time is too high. Like, they're Real Madrid. They just win this damn tournament. Like, that's what they do. I'll say this. Again, I'm reserving the rights to completely change my mind in two months whenever the dust has settled on these squads. And even more so into March, whenever these teams are actually going to meet each other, because one of the big takeaways from this draw is that none of the heavyweights are drawn against each other. But I would say over the last month, the most impressive teams I have seen are Arsenal and Inter. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, that makes, that makes the outlay uh, a little more, a little more reasonable. Um, Arsenal plus 600 right behind Real. Inter Milan. Plus two thousand. That also seems seems quite high. I think that's inflated a lot by the fact they're having to play at Letty. But if they get through that, like Inter can win this thing for sure. 
Inter going into this thing for sure. I think Barcelona plus 1,400, um, that's a branding exercise. You kind of just made me love the Inter, but... Yeah, Barcelona's not going to win the Champions League this year. Like, I'm sorry. No. Like, cross them off. They're they're not. The teams that could win the Champions League this year, barring something crazy happening in the transfer window or like a cavalcade of injuries, tell me where to stop. Manchester City, Bayern Munich, Real Madrid, Arsenal, Paris Saint-Germain, Inter Milan. I don't see anybody else. I think that's it. Yeah, that's my list as well. Even though I think Paris Saint-Germain is in danger against uh, Sociedad, but yeah. I I think that's my list as well. I think Luis Enrique is going to get this thing right with PSG. Also, I know I just said that Judah's the hottest player on the planet, but like Mbappe, bro, like he he might just decide to do it. He might just decide to do it, which he is want to do. Um, he scored an unbelievable goal on Wednesday against Mets. The two's just joking around in Liga. <sighs> He's got to be like the easiest and hardest player to coach in the history of the sport, right? I would say easiest, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but he like doesn't go back. He doesn't go back at people like freaking out, and he's like, "Yo, like, trust me, it's worth it." <laughs> like, I'm not. He's like, "I'm not being lazy. Trust me." Yeah the the commentators against Mets were talking about how he he wasn't doing a great job in link up play because he was wandering too much, and then like the next three times he got the ball, he got a shot off. And then specifically to one of your comments, he wasn't tracking back on defense. And instead, there's one of the goals he scored against Mets. He's hiding behind a defender, and he, uh, right before a pass back, he breaks out into a dead sprint at the goalkeeper and intercepts the pass back. And it's like, I don't need – Mbappe doesn't need to track back. No. Everybody. He's the one player in the world who does not need to track back. No. And I think he's the one player in the world who give him the ball – Anywhere on the field, it could be a goal in the next eight seconds. Like that, he's he's the only guy that I see like that right now. Yeah. Um, God, we we got Jude, we got Erling Holland, and we got Mbappe. Um, and barring like a horrific injury, we're gonna have him for like ten years. Like <laughs> this is another golden generation. Yeah, you remember how scared we were like six years ago that this Messi Ronaldo zenith would never be met again. And it's just like, all right, run it back. Hell yeah. This is amazing. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's phenomenal. It, it's truly phenomenal. Um, when we come back on the just for kicks podcast, we will play our game of hacks and give you the best betting tips in all of the galaxy. Um, we got to take this moment of hacks and, uh, you know, our, our hearts, prayers, thoughts, souls are with the family of Tom Lockyer, who suffered a really, really, you know, scary moment in Luton's match against Bournemouth. Um, Steve picked Dominic Solanke to score in this match. Um, it was abandoned after the uh, scary, scary episode. Um, where Locklear fell and um, went into cardiac arrest. Um, looks like he's going to be all right. But uh, yeah, this is, um, you know, some things bigger than football. And uh, the match was postponed for solely record-keeping purposes. This match is going to be made up. And if Dominic Slacky does go on to score in that match, Steve will be awarded a goal. Um, he did score in this match. However, it is, uh, was disallowed as the match obviously was abandoned at 1-1 at the time of Flockier's uh, terrible injury. So um, on, a, uh, on a brighter note, 
Um, who will you be picking this go around? You're in the lead now. Gabby Jesus scored, so you go first. Oh, yeah, he did. I forgot about that. 5-4. On a header, shockingly. Yeah, I forgot about that. Um, no, you didn't. <laughs> I know. Um, I'm going with Kalen Wilson. Um, Newcastle, easy fixture list over the break. And he's as likely as any to put one in the back of the net for Newcastle, uh, especially in the light of some other injuries and me having already picked uh, Mr. Isak. So I'm going Kalen Wilson. Who you got? You've already picked Wilson. Damn it. <laughs> I didn't realize I'd pick Wilson. Okay. All right. So we're doing whoever we pick is we're doing for both game weeks, double game week. Yeah. Okay. So back in the lead with Gabby Jesus header. Um, even those who both noted the guy we picked uh, did score this week. Um, I, I'm going to go with Anthony Gordon. I know that uh, Moise Casado just took a gnarly, gnarly um, tackle to him that uh, Eddie Howe was quite animated about how ugly it looked. And he said the actual injury looked pretty gnarly itself, but um, this fixture list is just too mouthwatering. They're playing Luton. They're playing Nottingham Forest. And even if he gets into one of those matches, uh, I really like the chances of a guy who's really scoring at a high clip. Steve, who you got? You love Newcastle. That's your third Newcastle pick of the year. Yes. Um, I also love Newcastle for this double game week. I'm going with Callum Wilson. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, like Wolves beforehand, two weeks ago, we will both be watching this from behind the couch. Both these matches over this nice holiday break. Um, okay, and now it's time for your betting tips. We got an extra extra set of uh, picks for you. We got a jumbo pick for you because we just can't help ourselves, and it's going to be a long, long two game weeks before you hear from us. First, we got Wolves plus 270 against Chelsea. Um just a lot of value there. Chelsea, the comforts of home are very comfortable for the Blues. Uh, the road has proven perilous time and time again. Um, we also like Fulham minus 145 over Burnley. You know, it should probably be minus 200. Burnley's uh, Burnley's bad. Um, Fulham, again, not world beaters, but... They should take care of business there. Another team that aren't world beaters, despite the fact that they just took points off Liverpool at Anfield for the first time that any team did this season. They also got their first draw. Did you did you hear the stat, Steve? Yes. In the uh, it was the they were the last team in all the top four divisions of the English football pyramid, top four, to have not gotten a draw yet. Yeah, that's wild through seventeen games. There's 17 games, no draws. So, and that's not just that's not just uh, the Premier League. That's a Championship, English League One, English. League, that's like you know, this would be like if nobody had gotten a draw yet in uh, you know baseball, Triple uh, A, Double um, A, and Single A. United were the first team to do that. They did it against Anfield. They're not going to do that against West Ham. West Ham. Um, I like West Ham lately. David Moyes. Yeah, I like West Ham too. And David Moyes is going to bite his former employer and bring them back down to earth because my friends, they are mere mortals. And I, I still, I still struggle when I watch them 
other than the brilliance of the season that was Garnacho's goal. Everybody, should, if you haven't seen that yet, you should go watch it. Might be, uh, might be the goal of the season. Might be the goal of the era. Might be the goal of the millennium. It was phenomenal. But other than that, Hoyland's still not on the board. A lot of things had to go right and wrong. Conversely, for Liverpool, for them to get that point. We like West Ham, plus 160. But in the marquee matchup of the break... Some might say the two hottest sides right now, even though Poole just drew. Arsenal is taking on Liverpool, and we like Arsenal plus 190. CB might agree that Arsenal are the greatest team on the cosmos, maybe in the history of all mankind, especially in the wake of City's follies, but I'm not going to draw you in on that just yet. But I am going to draw you in. You like Arsenal in this matchup against Liverpool, right? You think Poole's going to drop points to matches in a row after not doing it the entire season thus far? I do. I think Arsenal's been more impressive the last few weeks. I think Arsenal's currently as constructed the better team, but Anfield is the great equalizer, and I'm extremely excited to watch it. I'm, you know, uh, number one versus number two in the table while City's away at the Club World Cup, so this is kind of the perfect marquee matchup this weekend. Uh, They had a 2-2 thriller last year at Anfield after Klopp got their mess sorted. Uh, Arsenal was up 2-0 early and only saved the draw because of some heroic Ramsdale saves. This is the highest scoring matchup in the Premier League, I believe. Um, I expect it to be a barn burner, I think is what they call it. Barn burner, indeed. They also call it a grave digger in the in the uh, in keeping with the theme of barn burner. I mean, I, just, I think it's one of the best matchups available in Europe, period. It's the best right winger in the world. Versus his heir apparent in Saka, probably same situation at center back, Van Dyke and Saliba. Klopp versus Arteta. You're going Saliba that high. I mean, Saliba clearly was that valuable to the best team in the Premier League. When he went down, everything changed. But you think he's going to be on Van Dyke levels one day? I don't know if he reaches Van Dyke levels, but I think he's the heir apparent. Um, him and maybe a handful of other peoples that could be the next one to take that step once uh, Van Dyke starts to really hit a decline. Mm-hmm. Um, in addition to that, you got the two midfield unicorns, the English midfield unicorns, Trent and Declan. Um, and like we said earlier, the fact that England still has Jude to add to that list is completely unfair. <laughs> it's insane. Um, I love Arsenal, but it's at Anfield and Liverpool are the chasers. So I'm just happy to get to watch. Yeah. Well, speaking of getting to watch, we'll go right into what we're watching this weekend. Saturday, December 23rd at 1230 a.m., if you miss this, you better be dead or in jail. And if you are in jail, break out. Saturday, December 23rd at 12.30 a.m., Liverpool will be taking on Arsenal. You can catch that on NBC or Telemundo. Or if you just want to watch it on your Peacock subscription for the hell of it, you can do that too. You can be cute and weird. Um, we got a lot. A lot of great matches coming up. Um, Steve, uh, what are you going to be watching over this holiday break? Yeah, happy holiday season. It's like the best time of year for soccer. 19 Premier League matches across six different days coming up with a round of Serie A fixtures sprinkled in today and tomorrow. And then to boot, the Club World Cup final is today on FIFA Plus at 1 o'clock Eastern. Man City versus Fluminense, European champs versus South American champions. Guardiola versus Denise. It is happening. Um, 
say what you want about the Super League and money owning the sport, yada, yada. We got to see a Messi Mbappe World Cup final last year. Now we're finally getting to see these two um, paradigms of different culture and thought about the game come together. And the outcome is less important than the spectacle from my point of view. I'm beyond excited to watch this Club World Cup final today. Um, obviously, Liverpool Arsenal this weekend as well. And then next week, I'll be excited to watch Everton City and Brighton and Tottenham in the midweek fixtures. Yeah, those are going to be rad. And uh, you can check this out. on You can check out um, City and Fluminese on ESPN Plus, right? Sorry, FIFA Plus. Um, I think it's also on the FIFA YouTube. So those are both free. Those should both be free. So go there. They're free. It, this, this is just going to be a seminal moment and an amazing flashpoint for where two of the brightest minds, if not the preeminent minds, um, in terms of where the sport's going to go, where the culture of, you know, uh, X's and O's in this sport, I don't know, tactics, whatever, all of it. Are, are these not the two most innovative managers on the planet? And that is no shot to Jurgen Klopp whatsoever. He's just, he has a system that's tried and true and it's working. These are the two guys peeling back the onion, trying to figure out what is the next great thing in terms of the way this game should be played, right? Yeah, they're kind of yin and yang. And Guardiola is the king of um, positional football. It's kind of the global approach. Every kind of culture is contributing to it and playing in that way to some degree at this point. And they've got the deepest pockets and the most cosmopolitan team. Um, obviously conquered Europe. And then you have Denise, who is kind of um, harboring the old classical Brazilian approach and having Fluminense play in what they call a relationist style. And it's, I don't know, it's basically jazz versus classical music. And I'm not saying one's right or wrong, but it's fascinating to watch them be opposed to each other. And I'm beyond stoked that these two teams are the ones winding up in the final. Um, It's kind of a perfect little ending for this tournament that season yeah this one uh this one's gonna be dope and the rest of the epl action um i think starting starting thursday uh through new year's there's gonna be an epl match every day right uh not quite i think it's like six or seven days out of 12 yeah it's it but it's it's most days most days okay most days well you're gonna be chock loaded with stuff boxing day is always an amazing amazing day um that's day after christmas for the uninitiated and uh we're excited to be signing off um a, a really really great year to be discussing the sport um you know we got got to cover you know the aftermath of messi's world cup win and his move to the mls got to cover city finally getting over the top and changing the game in so many different ways you know people might think uh we're being political by putting this third but you know one of the kind of most seismic shifts that we saw this year was how investment in the women's game in europe has finally you know really limited the gulf that has always existed between the united states you know and sometimes china um and the rest of the world when it comes to this sport and this was this was maybe the most captivating tightest um women's world cup ever i mean this was this was a hell of a tournament it was the deepest tournament um 
you know, most years you point to like two and a half teams that could win it. And this year there are probably seven or eight, right? Yeah. You can point to a lot of things in the game lately. The money obviously is coming from all corners now and there's some hegemony and um, globalization that's you kind of lost a little bit of romance, um, obviously a little bit of corruption as well, never far away. But I think we've been really, really fortunate the last year or so to see some spectacular international tournaments, most of which the two World Cups. And also the United States just coming of age. You know, last year obviously was the World Cup, but, you know, their performance in the Nations League this year was just, you know, it. I think it gave every American fan um, – you know, a varying degrees of interest, a lot of faith in the future and justifiable faith in the future. I tend to, um, tend to think. Uh, absolutely. I, it's a very exciting time for the U S men's national team. And to make matters even more impressive, a lot of the mainstays of these teams, um, like the aforementioned Serginio desk, but you guys like Eunice Musa coming in and playing such a massive role for AC Milan, along with Christian Pulisic. And, you know, really being responsible for the times they were pushing for the title thus far this season and really seeing when Pulisic was out, you know, and then obviously Weston McKinney over at Juventus um, being so, so intrinsically involved in their title push. You know, the Americans are doing work abroad and this is a bright time. And, you know, the, the I would say the sky's the limit, but uh, Greg Beerhalter's the limit, right? Oh, sad, but true. <laughs> Okay. Well, anything you'd like to add? Any uh any parting shots, any um any festivian uh takes? Uh no, I don't have any festivian takes, but I would like to shout out Harry Kane, who is the leading scorer in the Bundesliga at the break. Um he's currently on pace for forty seven goals, which would smash the record. So just smash. In his first year there too. Yeah, he cannot stop scoring. Lewandowski who? Lewandowski, who Steve, um, what what are you hoping? What what is the what is the gift that would warm your heart the most if you were to receive it, tangible or intangible? Until we talk to our uh, audience next, is it is it indeed an Arsenal victory over Liverpool? Yeah, I think three points at Anfield would <laughs> Anfield would seriously boost my mood <laughs> for the holiday season. So let's go with that. Yeah, let's go with that. And a, Flum- a Fluminense win in the Club World Cup final. That would be cool. Dude, that would be so rad. Yeah. That's what I'm going for. Go Fluminense. No shot at Manchester City, um, but their form of jazz, you know, um, it would give me hope in Brazil moving forward. And it definitely would prevent Manchester City from getting to wear those cute little gold badges on their um, uniform for. Um, the one season that they will, they've had the opportunity. I was, I was so bummed back when I rooted for um, Chelsea, the the first time they won the Champions League, they blew, managed by Rafa Benitez, they blew this match. So we didn't get, to, so we were World Cup champions. We didn't get to buy the jersey with the cool, cool gold patch. Oh, of course we're going for Fluminense. Their colors are red and green. Yeah. It's Christmas. It's the Christmas season. We're going for Fluminense. Oh, my God. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. Festive. Let's go. Yeah. Um, that's just... I don't, know. I don't know how to say Merry Christmas in Portuguese. I don't know how to say Merry Christmas in Portuguese either. Um, and I don't know chat GPT open on my uh, computer at the moment. So, 
we'll leave on that note. Uh, it's been great chatting with you. Make sure to check us out on all the meta platforms where we are at the Just for Kicks podcast. You can check us out on Twitter, Just for Kicks FC. You can check us out on TikTok, Just for Kicks podcast, and our website in case you don't want to fiddle with whatever app you typically use or whatever website you typically go to to uh, watch or listen to your podcasts. You can always find us just for kicks dot soccer. 